therapists, non-therapists, and everyone in between. My name is Ian Hammonds, and my dry January is fucking over. Of course, no better way to celebrate than to record an episode on addiction. Regardless, this is Therapy on Tap. I'm here having a drink with fellow Austin, Texas therapist, Patrick Hayden. Patrick Hayden. Wow, I knew I was going to say that one day. Patrick, We're leaving this in. Patrick Harris and Hayden Lindsay. Harris Lindsay. <laughs> Patrick, Patrick Lindsay. Uh, this is the most authentic way we know how to talk about therapy in a relaxed, non-judgmental environment. Pint by pint. Champagne cork after champagne cork, in my case. We're obviously deprived of a pub given the current pandemic. This is not a promotion of drinking, but instead humanizing the field the best way that three humans can share a space. Today, our episode is about confronting addiction. But first, before we dive right in, um, let's check in with all of us right now. Where's everyone at today? On my third beer. (laughs) Says it all right there. Um, well, the, the big update in, in my world is uh, last Saturday, I had the pleasure and privilege of getting on stage at Green Hall, which yeah. is sort of a 20-year dream come true. Um, they're doing some socially distant shows out there, and uh, a friend of mine, Pat Byrne, played out there, and he had me on stage, and I got to sing a couple originals for... Um, a, a, a COVID crowd at a green hall. So it was very exciting. And then I, uh, you know, back to our, our point, I uh, quickly got off the stage and was uh, about to, you know, vomit from nerves and uh, drank about five shiners to calm down. Um, so I'll be interested to hear what our guest has to say about that. But um, yeah, other than that, I'm, uh, or because of that, I'm doing very well. And just so everyone knows, Pat Byrne, the Pat Byrne, the winner of The Voice Ireland in like what twenty eighteen, um, twenty very recently. So yes, twenty twelve maybe twenty twelve. Okay, yeah, he's a. I think Pat Pat is what I I aspire to be, or what I think I would be if my Irish ancestors hadn't come over here and diluted (laughs) the gene pool. Um, So I I don't know. I, I have a soul connection with Pat. So. Pat, if you're listening, hello. Pat featured me on his live stream um, yesterday, uh, Wednesday. Um, no big deal. And uh, I noticed in the he 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 covered the song one of the songs I played. So this this episode is the Hayden episode. We're just talking about me. <laughs> but uh, I looked in the background, and on his guitar case, I noticed that he has a therapy on tap sticker. Nice. So it was a. Uh, a Hayden Lindsay cover uh, plus a therapy on tap sticker. Uh, so Pat's a little bit of a fanboy for me. I think I think we're fanboys for each other. So um, the the good it's a good friendship we got going on. How many times did you play Freebird while you were on stage? Well, both both songs were Freebird. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Green Hall is actually the oldest dance hall in Texas, and it's basically our. Gr- version of Grand Ole Opry and it, it's the highlight of every Texas musician's career to play there that doesn't happen very often so the fact that you got to don that stage is a huge deal that's really yeah. cool thank you thank you golf clap <laughs> is it just me okay and also Green Hall was featured in the movie Michael starring John Travolta the dance hall scene where they get to the big bar yes oh yeah, my god that's a fun fact I totally fun. forgot about that 
Wow. For those of you old enough to remember the movie Michael. Have right. you seen Michael? No. About, it's an angel. John Travolta plays an angel. Mm, that's comes. such a good movie. Yeah. I'm not an old movie fan. Why? I know. I'm a pop culture fan. <laughs> Who's your favorite pop star? Pop star. Oh, man. Like acting or like music? Music. Music. Um, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, music wise, I liked really Taylor Swift's pop album was like the best. I don't like any of her rest of her music, but her pop album was amazing. Not even like country Taylor. <laughs> no. Not even teardrops. Teardrops on my guitar. No. Every song's about a breakup, Taylor. <laughs> no, but her pop album is like hundred okay. percent infectious. Fantastic. Yes. <laughs> well, haters are are going to hate Patrick. Uh, so. <laughs> Not only are they going to hate, they're going to hate, hate, hate. <laughs> We just have to shake it off. Oh, I was about to say that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, what uh, what historic venues did y'all play this week? First of all, oh, I played Green wow. <laughs> I played Twice. the tambourine. Oh, wow. Next okay. to you and your ego is We're making not me back worthy. into the wall. <laughs> I got to play. I opened up for, what's his name? He covers El Cerrito Way. Lives outside of San Antonio. Charlie Robinson. Yeah, I opened up for Charlie Robinson. That was pretty cool. I forgot who we opened up for the second time. Did you get? Did you get a gristmill uh, food voucher? I did. Yeah. yeah, and Pat gave it to me, and I, <laughs> I went there because he's he is. Uh, oh my god, there's a dog. He is a proud Sorry. vegan, and so not a lot of uh, vegan options at the gristmill. But I went there and had a, a porterhouse and used the band meal ticket. I don't know. It was like <laughs> rock and roll fantasy camp. That 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 was the highlight of. Of playing Green Hall. What's <laughs> that, Chris? Green Hall is not a sponsor yet, <laughs> but they could be. When uh, So, since we're going down this like music memory, I got to play Floors Dance Hall in San Antonio. Have you been there? Floors Country Country Store? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so their green room this. is a separate building, like somewhat attached to where the, the actual venue is. And they have this like really cool retro refrigerator just stocked with Lone Star. They were doing. Uh, inventory when we were playing and they found this super old polaroid of uh willie nelson with two women on, under each arm from classic like the 70s and it was just like this little piece of just like historic memorabilia that probably hasn't been seen since the photo was taken um and that was pretty cool wow my fiance knows pink <laughs> that's that's, that's <laughs> awesome <laughs> wow that's cool the too. Old, good job Ian. famous link i have i've never opened for anybody at all but my fiance knows pink and lisa vanderpump Oh my god! Um, so you've, you've opened. I'm gonna need to meet Lisa Vanderpump. Yes, I, <laughs> I wanted to be at her wedding. She's so my bad. Wait, you're, so you're, you're our opener. You open the podcast every week, so you, yeah. you're That's sort true. of. I am kind of a celebrity in my own right. <laughs> um, speaking of me, um, <laughs> I, I'm actually. I'm honestly, dare I say, let me knock on every shred of wood that I have. I'm actually doing pretty well right now. Um, I've, I've, um, I don't want to get too deep into it. Um, but I've kind of been going through this whole detox thing. Like I've detoxed the the whole month of January aside from of course the dry January, which I just broke as of today. It's January 29th, whatever I'm human. If it Um, helps, this episode won't come out till April. So you didn't break. That's true. All of you listening, we are not (laughs) recording in January right now. It's still my dry January. Um, no, but I, I've through that kind of detox process, I've I've also detoxed a couple of um I'll say one relationship, I think, one family relationship. Mm. And it's honestly been freeing as fuck. Like I just 
it's been amazing like to not have this person so close to me anymore and to like just finally go like okay i'm releasing you um it was a bit of a grief process and it's Mm. still even a little sad to talk about but i'm just realizing like since i made that conscious choice i've had just i don't know like things have been going so smoothly like all the sludge is just like been released and my kate my practice is like it's the best that it's ever been again knock on wood um it's like of course monday you'll get like 12 cancellations but um no yeah i dare i say i mean Brene brown talks about the foreboding joy that's kind of what i'm feeling right now it's like wow i'm 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 finally in a good place it's like what's what shoe is gonna drop so. I feel like that's a good future episode topic. I, I find myself visiting that a lot. I like working with um, the Mexican-American population because I am Mexican-American, find, finding that cultural identity. And that's something that we talk about a lot is we give family members like a huge pass and like wide like ranges of grace for toxic mm. behavior that we would not tolerate with peers or okay. friends or anything. And it's we have this social construct of like, okay, they're blood relatives. Like we have to just kind of like, oh, that's just who they are. They're just Swallow playfully abuse. racist or they're yeah. just, mm-hmm. you know, abusive, but it's okay. Cause they're a cousin, sibling, whatever. But no, like we need to like normalize saying like, you're not good for my life and I, you don't have to be in my life. Mm-hmm. So good job. Thank that's you. Awesome. My therapist actually told me this week that she was proud of me. <laughs> Which that means something, right? I don't know. Did you get a sticker? Yes. No, well, yeah. I, I felt the sticker come from her through the Zoom meeting. Metaphorical sticker. So yeah, the metaphorical sticker. sticker. She's like, here's a gold star. So, no, she said she was proud of me for how I held my boundary. And I don't know. It meant something. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. I'm doing, I'm doing my, okay. Mine today said uh, I, he has faith in me. And that really, and I started crying. Like, oh, that, that was, that was a really healing moment for me. So. I'm proud of you too. Thank you. Look at our therapist yeah. patting be- us on the back. I don't believe yes. in therapy. So, how did you find a therapist? I'm looking. <laughs> okay. I've networked we too much. We have a whole episode on that. Actually. We do. Yes. I will go listen to it. <laughs> Wait until I, mean, I actually did already. Two a.m. and then get on psych today. That's what I did. Yeah, mine was through. Uh, she was at Capital Area because okay. I I moved to Austin. I didn't know a single person. I didn't know, and my my supervisor was like, "Go to Capital Area," um, and I did. And she she left Capital Area Counseling, went into her like uh, private practice, um, and I've stuck with her ever since. So she's amazing. Thanks. You just missed me at Capital Area. I know I did. Yeah, you could have been my client. And you're sh- walking walking in your shoes or with no shoes. Ah, uh, yes. Biking up there. So. <laughs> I'm going to start keeping stickers in the office so I can give to, to people. I have this couple I that, like, think, it, yeah. they've been having a lot of success lately. And at the end of every session, they're like, so do we win? Did we, did we win counseling Did we get today? a name? Yes. <laughs> well, we have therapy on tap stickers. So is, oh, that, that's true. Is that, that not is what you're true. talking about? And it has gold in it, so it can be a gold mm. sticker. <laughs> so. Patrick, how are you doing? Yes. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean to interrupt. Wow. You to ask. Wow. Wow. I interrupted you to ask how you were doing. <laughs> I'm okay. How are you? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Tell me how you're doing. It's been an interesting week. I woke up to, I don't know if y'all saw my Facebook post, this like notification. I like, I'll get a notification from my, my news app. And the first one, one morning was like, how many PhDs end up homeless? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and then the first sentence, more than you think. So that was, that was nice. And then I did a consult appointment uh, yesterday or two days ago. 
it was a phone console that somebody booked and they hung up on me like two minutes in and they were like super short the entire time. And I keep telling myself like, they're obviously coming into therapy for a reason, but it's just like, don't be rude to somebody you want help from. Like that's just, mm-hmm. it, it ruined my day more than it should have. Um, or it impacted my day more than it should have been. It ruined the whole day, but it was definitely like, I hear that. Why? Like why fucking, why do it? Yep. But other than that, I'm doing pretty good. I've been looking forward to this all week. So me too. Glad I get to see you. Same. We we spaced it out to two. We were recording one episode every week, but we did it every two weeks. And on the way, me and Hayden were just like, "Oh, I missed you. I missed you too. We missed recording. Can't wait to see everybody." So, Rachel, how are you? Rachel is our guest for today, and we will introduce her soon. But first, before we get into who you are, how are you? See what I'm I did there? How you are? <laughs> who you are? How you are. This week has been a roller coaster week for me. Um, lots of things going on, chaos, but exciting things. We're moving into a building that's really awesome next week. And so that has all of its ups and exciting things and stressors as well. Yeah. Um, and then just personally had a low where I was like, I have no help. So I'm looking for a therapist. <laughs> um, okay. So um, yeah, I just like broke down. But um, otherwise, it's been really great. So roller coaster but um i'm doing this music group every thursday and that's just like the highlight i was like on a high last night just from um being around all those people that are involved in it and the the energy was like really high this week so Mm -hmm. it was amazing so we're good today cathartic Yeah, yeah it is it's beautiful to see their healing and to see just like me being able to do what i've wanted to do for so many years like it's coming to play and it's just doing what i wanted it to do so it's it's beautiful Awesome. We've got some musically inclined mm. folks on this podcast today. <laughs> oh, I am not a musician. I realized I'm a percussionist. I just hit this one little tambourine thing and we're good. But <laughs> I encourage the musicians to play. Well, that's a very unique group you run. Um, and and I, I stumbled across it on your website and was immediately just blown away um, and, and very cool. Yeah. Is there more you want to tell our dozens of fans uh, <laughs> about your music group? Yeah, so we um, do kind of a check-in every week, um, see how you're doing, kind of process what's going on um, in your life. And then we move into a free write um, that's kind of given a little bit direction of um, what are some struggles you have as a musician, especially right now with the pandemic. Um, the lack of like ability to go play music with people just in general, the lack of ability to play shows and things like that, recording, all of that's so limited. And so we're seeing a lot of increase in mental health in the musician world, the artist world. Um, and so we're trying to integrate mental health and creative arts, starting with music. It's amazing. Um, into like a process group setting specifically wow. for like, um, musicians right now we want to expand it to like art and other things too um, and so we'll process like stage fright or right now it's been a lot of like shame like um, people they're scared to like share their music because their mom might hear it right mm-hmm. um, and so we're working on that kind of stuff and really we did this really deep like shame process last night and then next week their homework is to um, do some kind of music or art um, based on one of their like shame cycles so it's going to be really fun. just got chills wow. from that yeah. oh my cool. gosh it's gonna be beautiful do you want to share where it's at yeah it's located at sands bar 
um, that group particularly, and then we're moving into the space um, shared behind Sandsbar um, next week, um, and that's at 12th and Chacon. So it's Sandsbar is a sober bar um, mm-hmm. ran by Chris, who's amazing, and I found him on Instagram. I messaged him, <laughs> and it was history. So very cool. <laughs> and the space is dope. Yeah. Like it has a it's a courtyard that connects the two properties, like mm-hmm. where the office is going to be and Sandsbar, and it's just such like a warm, inviting spot and it, it's yeah. just like this little chunk of like old austin like it's just very yes. reminiscent of old austin so it, yeah it's very cool I yeah get, i get the pun like sands without sands. yeah without the bar yeah wow. they do mocktails he's fantastic he's on instagram he does lots of mocktails on there as well so you should follow him amazing loyal yeah. listeners will recall that chacon street is where i lost my shoe uh during the great um <laughs> running out of gas Broke intern late oh, no. for appointment saga um, of whatever year that was. But uh, so there's also a really cool recording studio on Chacon that was like an old church cathedral looking thing. Have you been there? I have not. Uh, that they've awesome. converted into, I think it's called the cathedral, um, but it's super cool. Like they just gutted it, but the stained glass is still there mm-hmm. and it's just a very aesthetically pleasing building. Yeah, I'm excited to get around and explore the neighborhood more. I've already met a few of the other business owners in the area. We all have a very similar um, community driven um, mentality going on right now. And so it seems like there's going to be a lot of like block parties and nice. exciting things coming for mental health recovery and addiction recovery, sober events, things that like really foster just. Um, keeping that community going, that neighborhood, it's so cool and Austin-y, mm-hmm. um, keeping it like alive and well and just investing in that, the people that are already there and that are coming into that area. I just, on a side note, I miss live music so dearly. Um, I miss concerts. I miss shows. I miss being able to just, I don't know. I, I miss it so much. There's something about it. Yeah, you get like that feeling of everyone's listening, everyone's jamming it's out. Synergy. Yeah, and we're hoping to host every month or every other month um, some kind of block party where we have live music, maybe an open mic for people who are in the group and want to perform and um, work on like some stage fright or just presenting mm-hmm. their materials to get out there. So we'll put you on the email list. I would love to. <laughs> Please involve me. Um, well, I after that, I don't think she needs no introduction. Rachel Stein <laughs> is our guest today. Rachel Stein is LPC and LCDC, her own practice, Atomic Souls Counseling. And I'm I'm just I'm looking at your website now. It looks Isn't amazing, it awesome? incredible. <laughs> Life's a bitch. Sometimes we just need a little help. Like if so that's not my mantra. <laughs> click on about and scroll down to the very bottom. And there's this guy that is a dead ringer for a young Val Kilmer. And Actually, he will just blow you away. He's talking about himself, everybody. <laughs> Aww. He just radiates nice. humility. right? <laughs> With all of his credentials. That oh, this is amazing. <laughs> wow. I love this. So, yes, all thanks to my husband. He's apparently a wizard with Photoshop and the internet looks, things yeah, that I don't do. CEO <laughs> will trump PhD any day. Okay. <laughs> CEO like is the new PhD. Come on. But um yeah, just welcome to the podcast. I mean, you've already been here for a minute and just kind of gotten a vibe of just kind of what we're about and I'm just I'm seeing the um brilliant selection that Patrick made by having you on today. So just really thank you for 
being here for talking about an otherwise pretty heavy topic that we chose to talk about mm-hmm. today. But and counting our drinks, yes, and counting our <laughs> I'm drinks, keeping track. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but tell us just how you chose therapy, how you fell into it. Just tell us about the evolution of of your story and where you, how you got to where you're at now. Yeah, so um, I had my own depression and anxiety growing up, um, and so I also grew up in kind of a religious area and upbringing, and I had a few people tell me that um, questioned my like beliefs because of my mental health, and that really pissed me off. And so I said, fuck you, and I found all the Bible verses about um, <laughs> mental health. Um, so that started my journey um, to healing, and then I switched majors to psychology that week. And so I was like, all right, we're going to do this. Um, And then it evolved into wanting to work with trauma victims because I saw Christine Kane, um, who's the founder of A21, which is the largest anti-human trafficking organization in the world. Um, I saw her speak at a conference and I was just awestruck by her own testimony of trauma and how much she helps people. And so I was like, okay, that's what I want to do. It goes in line with wanting to help people who've been hurt and felt like they weren't Mm -hmm. a part of. Um, And so I got into counseling. Um, I was in psychology classes and all that. And then I was like, okay, I have to go get my master's. Um, And so in my master's level program at Texas Tech, go Raiders, um, (laughs) um, I was around some people who had their own addiction issues. um, And I was actually turned off to working with addiction. I was like, I'm not going to do that. Like, that's not for me. It's just like dumpster fire. I don't want to touch with a 10 foot pole. Um, and then I realized quickly, you should not say no to your higher power because you'll be led into that direction mm-hmm. that you say no to. Um, so my first job was at a detox center mm-hmm. <laughs> once I've got licensed. And so, um, I just fell in love with the culture and the community. I really do identify with like being a black sheep in your family. So many people with addiction struggles are isolated from their families and really just kind of get shunned. Like we don't want to deal with you. Um, so I, I identify with that, um, in my own experience and family and upbringing. Um, not that I'm very much of a black sheep, but um, just compared to who I was around. Um, and, and the creative part as well really stuck out to me. I'm creative, always been in arts and music myself. And so I just see so many creative types that are in recovery. Um, and using that to instigate recovery and healing has just really been awesome to see. And I was at a treatment center that used music and arts. And so that was really awesome to get that experience. Um, that was in aligned with what I I believe. So. Killer, very nice. <laughs> yeah, top that, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I, mean, bl- so I mean, I think when I got into mental health, or even when I started my master's program, I fully went into it wanting to work with addictions because it was just so fascinating. But I guess what they don't teach you is just the heartbreaking part because mm-hmm. if yes. you look at the the stages of change or the recovery model, it's, it's always a circle. It's never mm-hmm. like a start and a finish line because recovery is a lifelong journey. Yes. Um, and it is heartbreaking on the provider side of working with somebody and celebrating their successes and weeks, months, years of sobriety can just not easily, but it can be derailed at any time. Like there's at no point in your life in recovery where you're 100% safe and 100% uh, no risk for relapse. And it, it's very heartbreaking and it's very taxing, but if you can do the work, it's also very rewarding. Yes, it is. Yeah. I love seeing people who've made a year sober, two years sober. Um, I have worked with people who have three to five years sober or more. Um, it is really awesome to see those people who make it out, 
um, and can continue the sobriety, um, it it helps when you have those other patients who do like pass away or keep continuously relapse. It is um, it can be very tasking and emotional, which is a whole topic we could get into as well when a client passes <laughs> mm-hmm. away. I don't know if y'all covered that in y'all's discussion about death and how like strange that is and it's just because you have that relationship with them. Mm. I feel like there's a stigma sometimes of counselors like shouldn't feel emotions about a client dying. Like it's too, they're too close to you and it's, it's really like Fuck close that. relationship. Yeah. I know. If you I don't agree. have a reaction, it probably shouldn't be <laughs> human counseling. Right? Yeah. yeah, but I've heard it's that. I've, I've heard that and it's, it is interesting. So, mm. <laughs> well, I think just to confront the elephant in the room, I mean, just like I was saying before we actually we're recording is like we're we're three therapists um who make it a ritual of drinking every week and recording an episode um so i think it was inevitable for us to have an episode on addiction um so let's just dive right in i mean I put um, normalizing the conversation as like the one of the first things I wanted to just really kind of talk about today. It's it's almost it's taboo. Uh, a lot of things that we actually talk about on this podcast, like we've chosen specifically because they, people don't want to, they're too afraid to talk about them, like with suicide, like with death. Um, people are afraid to just like have a dialogue about it. But let's 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 talk about it. Let's talk about addiction. Let's talk about like what's you know, what we all know of it. And um, but that's why we talk about it, because we're not afraid, because we're the, the bad boys of behavioral health. <laughs> the bad <laughs> boys of behavioral health. Says the biker wow. with the tattoos. <laughs> like I pulled up my, my car. I have a tattoo. T- I keep it covered up a because tattoo. I don't want Wait. people to. I what have is three. it? Okay. Uh, it's, Show us. Uh, <laughs> it's on the Speedo line. <laughs> I, I have. Uh, You're still not wearing your Speedo. I have uh, two uh, of... One, Is it a Margaritaville? One of my grandfather, uh, his initials. That was kind of my first one. Uh, one about uh, one is a tribute to my dad. Um, it is a Papa Wolf and a Wolf Cub. It's actually really cool. I think it's really cool. Um, and then I started seeing... After I got it, I started seeing it on like these like crappy like T-shirts kind of things like almost the exact yeah so uh, you know but it's part of my body now uh and then i have one that i got in uh uh when i got into medical school that is sort of just a reminder of uh the the impermanence of uh identities and how identities are always evolving and it's uh so it's the staff of asclepius and uh which is the 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 medical staff with one snake not two as the staff of Hermes who leads you into the underworld. So it's not really a great uh, uh, symbol of medicine. Yes. I have anyway. a bad wolf, but that's because... Well, we I'm don't have time Dr. to go Who's through all your room. tattoos. So <laughs> that's a lot over there. Bad wolf. I see Rachel also has some tattoos. I, I have quite a few. Nice. I'm, I'm a vert. Shut up, Siri. <laughs> <laughs> My husband, fun story. My husband yesterday was like, "Hey Google, tell me what to think." And she popped up and was like, "It was privacy settings. It was great." (laughs) We consulted Alexa for our existential episode, and she actually had some productive things to say. (laughs) We asked her what the meaning of life was. She's listening right now. Oh Oh, lord. Okay. 
All right. Uh, to stand. <laughs> but anyways, so, so to normalize the conversation, I'm, I'm excited for this topic because I feel like we still have very strong, like, puritanical roots in this country. And drinking is still one of those, mm-hmm. like, edgy things. Like, it's, it's, you don't talk about it at work, even though I guess, like, Austin's in its own bubble for yes. many ways. But, like, so many startups have, like, beer hour or just, like, oh, mm-hmm. you can drink, like, taps at, at work. I was blown away when I moved here yes. and... I heard of uh, these little startups that have just like beer in the break room just to drink. Friday at noon. Yeah. Yeah. You stop working, you start drinking. Mm -hmm. But we, we still, I feel like society as a whole still has like an intolerance to drinking or substance abuse or, or substance use. Like now that we're seeing more and more States like legalize marijuana or decriminalize some of the harder drugs, which doesn't make it legal. It just reduces the harsher punishments and, and takes more of like a medical approach to, uh, addiction than punishment but i don't know i feel like we're we're at the cusp of change but there's still so much stigma associated with this topic and at the same time driving here down i-35 there were a hundred billboards for deep eddie and uh, cuervo and the the latest new uh, i feel like i already detailed this in a previous episode the latest new physio <laughs> so we're kind of both obsessed and repressed yes. and and I have this um, kind of internal family systems streak and so this is a polarity this is like uh, on the one side is like this extreme kind of uh, obsession or you know we see this in binges uh, and then on the other side is a lot of shame or this like controlling and so th- uh, this is like manifesting externally in our culture and then then internally it shows up in, in addiction as this like rapid cycling between uh, the shame uh, of use or, or just shame, my shame in general, and then the need to medicate. And we kind of ping pong back and forth. And then we don't really get down to like the pain that that is, that is covering. Um, but I think one of the, the things that we're doing here by like kind of, we're kind of integrating these two things. It's like, we're, we're having some beers moderately, maybe at least like on for the sake of our listeners moderately, but we're talking about it. And so we're kind of integrating we're these polarities. It. We're, we're um, holding, holding these polarities with love, which is all about, uh, which is what IFS is all about. So Dick Schwartz, if you're listening, um, would love to have you on and, and see, check me there. Cause season uh, two, <laughs> Dick Wolf, the executive producer of law and order. no, <laughs> It's like the Iago comment. Dick Schwartz is the founder of Internal Family Systems. He's a wonderful clinician, and I'm sure a moderate drinker. Okay, the the Iago thing made me laugh even as I went back and re-listened to that episode. And it is a very it is the most underrated joke of this podcast. So, welcome to the shit show, Rachel. (laughs) Glad to have you, (laughs) Rachel. How do you feel about this topic? I love this topic. Apparently my life is dedicated to it. So (laughs) (laughs) apparently, um, yeah, I just, and what Disney princess are you? (laughs) Um, probably Cinderella, blonde hair. I see that. Mm. Lose my shoes a lot. (laughs) (laughs) At parties. Strange men bring them back. Uh, Flashback to Chacon street. (laughs) Leaving them all at midnight. (laughs) Do you feel, this is a random question, but it popped into my head. So I'm going to ask, do you feel that there's more stigma on the topic of addiction from the clinical mental health community or from just the general population, like the lay community? That's a hard question. I feel like probably the medical community, I want to say, because I feel like pop culture right now is really 
embracing like sober January and all of that. And like celebrities are coming out with their experiences. Um, like Robert Downey Jr. Um, I'm blanking on the funniest guy ever. What is his name? Patrick Harris. Yeah. <laughs> Patrick Harris. Um, Robin Williams. A celebrity that struggled oh. with substance abuse. Oh my abuse. God. He's like father of recovery right now. Um, the comedian? Uh, the Vegas movie. What is this? Bradley Cooper? No. Okay. Zach Galifianakis. Oh I'm going to have to Google that. Which Vegas movie? Get him back to the Greek. Oh. oh what is uh, it? Russell Brand. How yeah. do I forget Russell, Russell Brand? Brand? Oh, my God. His <laughs> image is like right there. If you're listening, come on this podcast, Russell Brand. Mm. <laughs> Underrated movie. It's his version of, uh, what is it, Arthur? Is that the name of the movie? The remake of the... Uh, I did not see that one. Maybe we should maybe we should read things, read up on things before we. Uh, That's the reason why all of us have laptops in front of us right now. Every all the information is an easy click away, just so it can make us. Feel I'm on my own. Yes, the, the remake of the Dudley Moore movie, Arthur. I'll have to watch it. He's fantastic. But that whole like pop culture um, movement in the last few years is really, I think, driving more people to accept recovery and it's not just like shame-based anymore and really accepting like the medical model that's coming around, the disease model of addiction, all of that. Whereas I do find a lot of medical providers like don't really get their CEUs in addiction and it's, it's really <laughs> unfortunate. the most polite way you can say that. I would call them uh, dildos. They don't know what they're doing. But it's like I got my, degree, <laughs> got my degree in the 80s and have not anything else since so <laughs> but i mean that's so true and it i think what people don't understand is that there's multiple generations in the helping professions and some still yes. come from the old school the and old school. you have a choice in your ceu so people mm-hmm. can still turn a blind eye to yes. progress mm-hmm. and just take like the path of least resistance with their continuing education so there's still so many people that are stuck with with uh, operating on old information that's no longer relevant or even true. You bring up or a great just... point about CEUs. It's like CEU is is not going to hear the same shit you already believe mm-hmm. said to you in a different conference. It's yeah. like yeah. evolving yeah. your your Challenge. your thought around exactly, and maybe yeah. even challenging some of the the views. Yeah, I well, see. I see a lot of clients. I'll have that get sober and they're killing it and rocking it, and then they go to the dentist and they give them opiates even though they've told them they're in recovery and they like the dentist like doesn't even know like that opiates mm-hmm. are addicting or they like mm-hmm. don't care or like they'll go to surgery and the, they're like, Oh, well here's some like clonopin. And they're like, it's not an opiate. And it's like, but technically it's addicting. And just like, it's really weird how like some medical professionals don't understand addiction, which is very medical based, which is <laughs> ironic because I heard a statistic. I think I was in grad school to talk about, updating your education with CEU since you graduated. But in grad school, I heard a very eye-opening statistic about all doctors and nurses. I think it's like 80% of them are addicted. 80% of them mm-hmm. are addicted to drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Like, oh my God. And I was actually working in a hospital at the time and it, it was like, wow, yeah. interesting. It's like y'all are kind of turning a blind eye to something that affects you guys directly why is no why are more people not talking about this i'm curious if they had to call it out in others it would get called out in them they'd have to look at themselves exactly yeah. it is a high stress um environment so mm, i definitely understand like looking for something to cope so it's definitely i mean you have like nurse jackie like those kind of shows that mm-hmm. show that like high stress environment like 
they feel like they need the uppers to stay awake and the downers to go to sleep. God bless Ryan Murphy. Well, then now I'm sorry, and I don't want to, you know, we could go down tons of rabbit holes, but I work with uh, a lot of first responders oh, who. Ratchet. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> first responders and very high stress job. And um, there is a, a an element of like culture around that. And, and so I'm curious from your perspective, like what element does, does culture play? Like uh, it, it's culturally acceptable in, in, in that world to like, you get off your, your 24 hour shift and uh, maybe you drink more than your average person moving through the world. And, and if you come to me as a therapist and I go, well, you've got a drinking problem. You know, meanwhile, I'm working 10 to eight and I don't have to deal with people dying and like, you know, right. pulling bullets out, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, you're never going to come see me again. So, um, <laughs> Uh, I wonder, you know, what element, uh, Patrick, you were talking about going to Ireland and people are just kind of knocking them back. And um, where does, where does culture fall in uh, to, yeah. I I think that would be more of like a trauma problem with first responders, right? They're coping with um, seeing these horrific events that they see day after day. Um, And so we need to start looking at it more from a trauma perspective or um, I think you had mentioned earlier about like that deeper, like what's underlying this, like what, what are you trying Mm -hmm. to cope with? Um, And so really working on that kind of language instead of like, Oh, you have a drinking problem. It's like, Mm -hmm. that's the symptom to the problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, let's look at those deeper things. And so I think more of that in the media, more continuing education on that is really needed um, so that we can start, changing that culture um i think it's yeah. similar to that so we don't pathologize it yeah, yeah. You, you have mm-hmm. a drink you, you have right. trauma that is like a normal part of the career that you've chosen mm-hmm. and and like we kind of need you to deal with that because right. i'm not yeah. going to deal with it you, you, yeah, let's so thank you out. for dealing with it and right. let's help you to, to deal with it and it's a more productive healthier way so you're not losing your job later because mm-hmm. you can't okay. get to work because you're drunk yeah. right i'm sure like schedules also has like plays a factor in that too. Cause I, th- I think back to the time when I worked inpatient psych, they were like 10 hour shifts, but they were rarely 10 hour shifts. They're usually like 12 or 13 hour shifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, so that really like narrows your free time versus where you'd want to like kick back and unwind and have a meal and then like have a glass of wine or whatever. But like now your free time is very condensed and you need to unwind, do all of your responsibilities, eat and do everything in that, that shorter amount of time. And I remember just drinking more in those compressed yep. areas mm-hmm. because it would speed up the winding down process versus now like mind body medicine is my jam and meditation and exercise and yoga. But all of that takes time. Like the, yeah. the old adage with with meditation is if you don't have 10 minutes to meditate, meditate for 30 because you need to reclaim some <laughs> right. of that time. Right. Thank you. But like when my schedule was just the most stress, but also the most stressful job that I had, like I needed that time to unwind mm-hmm. and, Alcohol like, helped accelerate that. So I wonder if that plays right. a part into it too. I do think the schedule, um, that culture of like these really long hours in those helping professions that are like so intense and traumatic um, plays a big part into it. And I even see clients who work a night shift and that just messes with their routine, their mentality. Um, just like, And now you're drinking at 7 a.m. Yeah, or you don't have any social life, so you're like, well, fuck it, I'm just going to drink and ruin everything and and burn it down (laughs) instead of finding a new job, which would be the easy route. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But yeah, that 
that routine is so important. And there's a lot of studies coming out about how that routine is very important for mental health and addiction recovery. Um, and so I think we just need to look at that culture of the overworking American culture. Mm. Yeah, um, productivity driven. You're only valuable based on what you can put out. Yes. But also not discounting like the reason why we call uh, drinking and, and substance use as like a negative coping skills because it still works. Right. Like that's why people yes, do it. It works it in is. the short term. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't feel good after a few drinks or smoking marijuana or popping a pill or something? I like feel that? great right now. <laughs> <laughs> But what people lose sight of is it only works in the short term. It actually exacerbates anxiety and depression in the long term. Um, But that's why people gravitate towards that. It's much easier to drink a glass of wine than it is to meditate for 30 minutes. It's much easier to go to the bar and knock a few back than go on a run, right? Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot less time. And we're a very, like, instant gratification culture now. Yes. And you even think, I mean, we're talking about kind of the, the the systems that kind of contribute to an addicted culture as well, or a culture that's that struggles with its own. I mean, Austin, we we live in Austin's a, a weird. I mean, <laughs> Austin, is. keep Austin weird. Austin is a weird city. It's basically designed, I think, to to if there's an addiction that's present, um, it's designed to keep that someone in that addiction mm-hmm. because there's so much alcohol here. There's so many drugs here. The, I mean, even if you walk down, if anybody been to sixth street, it's just, uh, I saw it's, a drug deal down the street the other day and it was broad daylight. Mm-hmm. This guy's just dealing out of his truck. I was like, is nobody seeing this? Yeah. Like what is happening? Basically yep. like in front of the arch too. Like, yeah. That's, that's where it was. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's, I think certain things are in place, I think to keep people from, helping themselves from addiction, I feel like. And to counter that a little bit, where there's a lot of addiction, there's a lot of recovery. And so I think that's kind of like the hopeful side of it. Like you go to New Orleans, you go to Vegas, there's a lot of recovery Mm -hmm. in those places. Austin is becoming one of those places. Which is refreshing to hear. And a lot of really like kind of innovative recoveries. Yeah, Yeah, because Austin's very innovative, yeah. Yeah. Um, We have that, that sobering center downtown now. Is that still up and about? Do you know? That's interesting. I heard about that like about a year ago i don't know if it is yeah so somebody oh. gets picked up downtown for having a few too many instead of taking them to the quote-unquote like drunk tank at the jail they now go there to sober up or to detox or the ihop <laughs> it should be the ihop wait the law enforcement takes them there yeah or? law oh, enforcement magnolia yeah. cafe because oh. it, <laughs> i do want to shout out like boston pd like they're training therapists in emdr which is like the root cause of a lot of addiction, mm, yeah. like it helps with trauma. And so that's awesome to hear that they're doing that as well. Like they're just really, I think that's awesome. They get a bad rap sometimes. <laughs> but that goes back to the stigma. It's like, oh, you've old, overindulged. You should be punished for this rather than right. recognizing why did you drink so much? Is it because yeah. there's a problem? Like, is there a mental health concern? Is there an addiction concern? Like yeah. those weren't questions that we asked not even five years ago. It no. was, you're drunk, you're in public. Fuck you. You should go to jail. Like yes. that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's more to that story. Yes. Well, Patrick, would you like to talk about the religious history of addiction since you were um, a religious studies minor? I was going to say, <laughs> like, you're more well-versed in religion and that's one of his tattoos. Spirituality than we all are. It says think. religious studies minor. <laughs> <laughs> it's but tri- ironically, it's in a private since, place. Since so. it's part of your identity, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to just hear, like, what your your perception of basis or what what the basis is of of religion and addiction and how they kind of go hand in hand 
Oh, I don't actually know that much about the two. I, I just put it down because I've heard a lot of clients. You wanted us to talk about it? Yeah. <laughs> Not you. I did my research. I wanted to throw Rachel under the bus. <laughs> I looked it up because it does come up. People have a lot of shame. I think that's where you're going with that. You can... Yeah, like resources historically. I mean, recently there's been a a lot of changes, but like historically, like back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, like really the only addiction recovery places that were available or resources that are available to people were religious based. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like even AA was founded on a on a religious base, and now they've they've kind of like made their lingo a little bit more vague, so you can put your own interpretation to like higher power, creator, yeah. whatever. So it's not necessarily like As a Judeo Christian like God, mm-hmm. um, but it's still faith based, and it's still a big turnoff for people. So that that's kind yeah. of what I brought up in that. I know being Catholic, like there's a lot of like guilt and shame that's just used in that culture, but also I was uh, well am a third degree of night of columbus and even like the night of columbus meetings they have beer like they serve as a catholic we, we <laughs> yes yes i'm from new orleans mardi gras they yeah. drink <laughs> you're from new orleans yes what <laughs> oh my how did i not know i this? went to loyola by the way oh, nice. yeah i'm just obsessed i love it awesome. my best one of my best friends lives there i try to see her every chance i get um wow what part yeah um i grew up across the lake in mandeville covington okay. i got my undergrad in southeastern in hammond Nice. Oh, I used to play so, Southeastern in rugby. Oh, nice. Yeah. Look at all these connections. I know. <laughs> well, I don't want to brag, but I have a New Orleans-themed spare bedroom. So he does. Which, nice. One day we were recording here, and my fiancé went up and took a nap in that room, and he literally, he was so tired that day, he doesn't even remember anything that was in there. What? Yeah, and I was like, that's the best nothing. That's the best room you'll ever like fucking go into. I feel like that's a classic New Orleans story, though. Like, you don't remember any of it. Uh, exactly. <laughs> that's you why it's decorated. New Orleans because I got blackout drunk in New Orleans and yes. I woke up with a bunch of art that I bought on Frenchman Street. I love Frenchman. And yeah. $800 out of my account later, mm-hmm. I have a New Orleans themed spare bed. Yeah. Oh yes. I got suckered into a, an art shop, uh, I think on Royal Street. And after, yeah, several hundred dollars later, I, I spent so much money that day and it's still on my wall. What? I still get what? compliments. These are really fun stories of so. substance abuse, guys. This is well, great. I mean, substance- Overindulgence. Oh, okay. Overindulgence. Well, even that day, I was like, I was day drinking, walking through the quarter as you do. And um, I just, I, my soul was kind of drawn to the shop. And I had a little bit of buyer's remorse afterwards, but it was like Jackson Square and it looked like a skull. And it just, cool. yeah. So, so yeah. But anyway, I, find it I digress. Like, <laughs> different religions' interpretation of relationship with, I'll just use like alcohol because it's just easier, more socially. Well, also, like, alcoholism is is the most significant issue as far as addiction in the United States, and that's only because of, like, uh, social tolerance and mm-hmm. access of the substance, right? And podcasts that promote drinking. And podcasts that promote <laughs> drinking. Of which this is not one of those <laughs> things. We're one of those, like, do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do type therapists, so... And this is also not therapy, thank God. <laughs> but I find it fascinating, like, so Catholics are, are, are synonymous with just, like, being laid back and drinking, and it's like, oh, yeah, Catholics drink, but mm-hmm. it's still considered a sin in the Catholic Church to be intoxicated. Like, that's a sin. But drinking is okay, as long as you don't reach that point of intoxication. We do it in the, the thing! No, not if you believe in transubstantiation. <laughs> And then you're not drinking wine, you're drinking the blood of Christ. But that also, like, when you're looking at, um, then I think to Mormonism, I think that's really fascinating because their their whole abstinence towards alcohol or even caffeine or mind-altering substances because that poses a barrier between you and God or you and making good choices. So anything mm-hmm. that alters your brain chemistry or your ability to have full control of your body is considered uh, immoral. That's and then so there's that, like, extra added, like, pressure and, like, 
stigma to anything that deviates from that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I didn't know that about the Mormon culture, um, but that's very, um, that concept of like any substance is um, pretty prevalent in the recovery community where it's like some people are like, oh, I'm sober, but they're still smoking weed. And a lot of people don't um, agree with that as sober. And so that's, that's interesting. The Mormon faith believes that because the idea behind it in the recovery community is that, yeah, you can't connect with your higher power if you're using any kind of substance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That brings a good topic of, you know, what does recovery look like? To my understanding, recovery looks like whatever the individual wants it to look like. So for some people, yeah. it's drinking in moderation. And for some people, it's true that that one beer equals 100 beers. So it, like complete abstinence is recovery. It's all subjective. If that's one thing I learned very early on in my my uh, therapy career. And especially the first private practice I had or that I, I, I worked for, it was all there. I think there were three sober people in a mm-hmm. practice of six. So that culture was wow. very much, I, I learned whether or not I wanted to, I learned a lot about sobriety. <laughs> um, but that's, that's something that, you know, like just, that's something I learned right outside of grad school that they did not teach us <laughs> when we were in grad school that, um, Recovery is all very subjective and it's all about the individual's experience. If the individual feels that they are addicted, we have to honor that as their therapist. We can't sit there and say, you, you are addicted. You, this, like, it just that, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think we talked about that a little bit um, before we started this was the like diagnosis criteria is Mm -hmm. very low. If you look at that, (laughs) the numbers of number of drinks you have is very low to be diagnosed with that. So you Mm -hmm. really do. It is based on the client's um, belief about themselves and how it's impacting their life. I love that. I feel like that if, if you're listening and you take nothing else away from this episode that I will take that away. Um, just, I, I feel like the medical model is very like you are addicted and you have to be abstinent or um, that the religious model is like you have a, a, a moral deficit and you need to be saved. And mm-hmm. so to, to empower people to like, what do you want your life to look like? And, and also that can be dynamic. Like you, you, you and you can slip up and, and correct. And um, I kind of have this metaphor of the, driving down the road and there's the rumble strips, the, the guardrail and the cliff. And, you know, where we pick people up in, in most addiction treatment is like after they've sometimes literally gone off the, off the edge of the cliff. Yeah. But if you can bring some mindfulness to your life and, um, well, I mean, if you're really mindful, you don't hit the rumble strips, but like if you're mindful-ish, you can, you can kind of, Oh, I'm, I'm maybe overindulging this week or, um, wow, I bought $800 worth of art on <laughs> Frenchman street. Maybe I need to take it easy for a while. And everyone's a little different. Everyone's rails might be different as, as you know, uh, it's easy for me to, to kind of go, I want to be successful in my business and I have a license to protect and, and on and on and on. But my, my sober or my, my recovery is going to look different from yeah. someone else's. Yeah, I like that you bring up that like rails. Like I say, there's everyone has different thresholds mm-hmm. and it's very genetic, similar to any other um, genetic disease that's passed down. And so like someone who has addiction in their genes, their threshold's going to be lower, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're going to hit that bump and they're just going to fly off. <laughs> they're not even going to hit the rails. And so I, I don't have that in my family, and so, but I have other diseases that I do have mm-hmm. to be mindful of. And so that's a great point that you made there. I'm just, I'm laughing because of the, there's what, what's coming up 
for me is the amount of finger pointing that a lot of families like to do when yes. genetics is pre- like the, that genetic yeah. susceptibility to addiction is present. So addiction runs in my family just to self-disclose um, for my clients that are listening. Um, no, addiction runs in my family. And there was one time Does where... Does anyone ever say sobriety runs in my family? Is that is that Ooh, something like that. that we... God bless them if they do. Okay. Um, well, I, it is... <laughs> It's rare that a lot of people in your family are sober. I usually find that it's yeah. like one or two here. So, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. As no, you didn't mean to interrupt. As you were saying, I'm I, re- like, I remember going. Sobriety runs in my family. I got to really be careful about that. <laughs> no, visiting Houston, going out. I think I went to downtown Houston, which if none, none of y'all have been to, it's really fun. There's, it's just, it's, yeah. Anyway, Lots I digress. Bars. Yeah, it's a really cool bar. It's a really cool way to get stabbed, too. So that's, yes. It's <laughs> a really I think hip place to get yeah. Except Buffalo it's still Exchange. Fun. Um, I mean, if you go with. The- have you been to Neil's cool. bar? Neil's, I don't think so. Near the George R. Brown Convention? It's a nerd bar. It's I've, yeah. I mean, probably yeah. Um, but no, when I visited there, I, I remember having a very very wild night in Houston, and I remember um, staying with my mom, <laughs> and my mom was probably I don't know half a bottle deep in wine, and she like I came back the next morning or I woke up and I was barely functioning, and I was like I'm so hungover, and then mom has like a glass of wine and she's just like, you know, addiction runs in, in the family, you know, and like, <laughs> drinking, drinking out of her wine goblet. Like our moms so. should hang out. I feel like they'd get along. They could talk about how gay their sons are. <laughs> we can edit that out if we need to. I, I was going to just go for it. Cause I, our loyal listeners will remember, will recall that I am 97% straight. That's a t-shirt right there. And it goes down 1%. Don't wear that per beer. at Rain on 4th because you will not get out alive. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to. Has Rain reopened? I don't think so. I don't think any of... No. Yes, they have. Is I'm Rain the sure. one with the light up dance floor? Oh, yes. I love that one. Yeah. Yes. That's my favorite one. And I know Halcyon. Halcyon's a, I love Halcyon's Halcyon. Open. It'd be cool to have an electronic t-shirt with the... the and I could like change the percentage <laughs> <laughs> as you're going through like, yeah, all the with, with each drink it goes down <laughs> roughly one one percent um i feel like i've gotten a soft track we so which ways to get us back on to all rachel's right. point about like the assessment rumble strips <laughs> rumple mints so, the, the, rump, the rumple strips rachel made a point about That's like the, the assessments like kind of keep a very low bar for what's considered addiction. So one thing I used to teach culturally this, insensitive to the Irish folk like me. <laughs> I used to teach this class called um, mental health first aid that was that was developed in in Australia, but uh, I think now the National Council for Behavioral Health has the American chapter going. But in, in the section on addiction, it talks about the raps the raps assessment, which is the rapid alcohol problem screen. And so let me let me read some of these questions because it it really lends itself to Rachel's point. So these are yes or no questions. During the last year, Wait, have are you, we all going to answer? Yeah, like at the same time. But, truthfully, but this is this is a, a learning exercise because it shows like how low the bar is to be what's considered problematic in the eyes of this assessment. So during oh, the God. last year, <laughs> have you had a feeling of guilt or remorse after drinking? Yes. Yes. Everybody has. Hayden was just texting about this. <laughs> <laughs> last year or last week. <laughs> During the last year, has a friend or family member ever told you about things you said or did while you were drinking that you could not remember? Yes. 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 Oh, wait, in the last year? Yeah. 
No, I had pulled back a lot because I was having those issues um, like three, two or three years ago. During the last year, have you failed to do what was normally expected from you because of drinking? Yes. Yeah. Do you sometimes take a drink when you first get up in the morning? No. That I do. No. <laughs> Thankfully, no. Not uh, that limit. Um, Mardi Gras sometimes. That's, that's <laughs> different. Even then, I've never been I don't a think hair I of the ever dog have, person. No. Like, I just I can't do alcohol oh, if I'm hungover. Not first thing, but I have had like mimosas. Yeah. Yeah. Gay brunch. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but even then, like that's another thing. That's culturally acceptable. Yes. Like mimosas at brunch or an Irish coffee. Um, but that fits the criteria, right? Sure. First okay. thing. Oh, okay. First yeah. Thing. Uh, all right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You got us there, Patrick. <laughs> During the last year, <laughs> we could you... also we could also get into a debate uh, about gay brunch versus. We're trying brunch. to downplay mm. our like drinking habits <laughs> on <right> air. <laughs> yeah. Three more. So, during the last year, have you lost friends or girlfriends or boyfriends because of drinking? I don't remember this no. question. No. Not within the last year. Well, like, what I'm curious, like, because that's kind of vague. Like, I've stopped drinking as much as I was probably a few years back. And so I don't have those like drinking bodies anymore. I'm curious. I would probably consider that. Yes. To me, that implies like you're someone out of didn't want to hang out, of control, out with you. Yeah. yeah okay. They're backing up. I definitely have more friends, <laughs> <laughs> more friends and more money. I don't understand. I wake up with more money <laughs> yes. during the last year. Have you had five or more drinks on at least one occasion? Oh yes. Yes. It's yeah. such you a low. And, and drinks yes. is like, it's like two ounce shots. It's like eight ounce Maybe even four ounces for wine. It's like very minimum. Yeah. And then finally, during the last year, do you do you drink as often as once a month? Wait, this year <laughs> is only one month old. So once a month. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, yes. 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 We record it's a so podcast deflecting. every week yes. where we have to drink. But also, I mean, to, just but... look at. The, I mean, the, those questions sets you up yeah. for fail, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that's mm. very. And somebody, some person that answers all yes to those questions could have a problem. Yes, but that somebody that answers all yes to those questions just could have had a bender in Las Vegas, right? And mm-hmm. it doesn't have any significant bearing yeah. over the rest of their life because it, it only asks over the last year, over it's the last month, etc. It doesn't talk about like the frequency. But this is a clinical assessment tool that some people use to measure. Uh, pathology. Well, well, I mean, let's talk about indulgence versus addiction. Well, um, and even uh, just kind of tie this in, but uh, I, I pulled up this article I I really enjoyed reading a while back from the Clean Slate Addiction site, which is just disclaimer is um, uh, a left turn from a lot of uh, the the common thinking about addiction, but he has a a, a nice little article on uh, p- pathologizing partying, and uh, that is directly to your point here about like how Wait, can we can we acknowledge that Ian is taking a selfie? Right <laughs> we, you can. We're not going to pathologize that, that though. <laughs> Pathologize narcissistic personality mm, disorder. It's yes. fine. It's called Handsome's disease. <laughs> we all have so, it. Wait, now I need a selfie. Yeah, I'm, I'm sit, sitting over here like with a flash in my eye, like Ooh, trying to make a... look white. Okay. Hayden's making a very eloquent point. research-based point. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Right. Uh, this is the highlight sorry, of Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> well, here we go. Uh, a 2015 survey in which 25% of the respondents representing six, 66.7 million Americans reported that they engaged in binge drinking during the previous month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. Yeah. And so to, 
I but don't, Ben Stream yeah. is also like contextual because there's been times where like I've had way too many and I recognize mm-hmm. that it was problematic the way that I was drinking, but it was very but it was situation specific. <laughs> <laughs> I think binge drinking is also the criteria is very low for that, and so like a normal like party night could look like binge drinking. Here's what I think is happening. The, the these, criteria. these doctors who just have no life. <laughs> And they don't have any friends. Yes. They are going or sitting around going, you know, what is, uh, I don't have time to do that. So like everyone else who's doing that is obviously sick. Once a that's month, five I, drinks. Oh my God. That's crazy. <laughs> They're like, well, I'm only off once a month. So, um, and then the, there's also this piece for me of like, yes, we can look at the like physiology and the effects on the, the, the human body that uh, alcohol produces. And we can probably draw some hard lines about, you know, what is quote unquote healthy and what is not, but humans are much more than a body. We are a psyche. We are a social a relational network. We are uh, a soul if you buy into that. And so, um, you know, I, I think there is a, a way to integrate, um, if I bring it back to my Jungian archetypes, the lover energy. I mean, that's what, what drinking is. It's a, um, a, a lover energy, uh, enjoyment, pleasure. Uh, we're not just here to, to exist and to suffer. We, are, we, we do those things. We exist and we do suffer. But we're also here to uh, enjoy ourselves. And I think there is a, a healthy integration um, of, of that energy and, and perhaps addiction could in one way be thought of uh, as a uh, the the distortion of lover energy into something pathological or dysfunctional. That's how I rationalize it in my head. <laughs> no, it makes total sense. Um, I so this is something that I got off of Google. Um, so it's a very credible resource. Very clinical. <laughs> Um, we won't go into that. Why that's a Google is my favorite inside joke. Oh goodness! Share that with all of my colleagues, (laughs) respectfully. I'm amazed at how many people don't know how to Google things, though. Like they'll be like asking Facebook and stuff, or asking me. I'm like, just check Google. That's what I'm gonna do. (laughs) So let's decipher the difference between um, abuse slash overindulgence versus addiction. Um, so according to Google, um, our very reliable resource, um, is it at least Google scholar? Uh, no, it's, <laughs> do you uh, even Alta Vista, bro? Actually it is Google, Google scholar. So nice. I'm a little scholarly. Do you know how nerdy I've become being in a PhD program? My homepage is Google scholar. <laughs> it just makes life easier. I suddenly like, feel very stupid. Thank you. <laughs> um, but no, the, the individual can abuse something but does not become neurobiologically addicted. There, the element of choice is there. So you could you have a choice, really, of... of if you, you become know, addicted, is that what it says? That's what it says? Basically, if, if you become addicted, there is no more, like, decision... Like, your decision-making is impaired. That's yes, kind of I, what, it, what it said. I'd say the first drink is definitely a choice. Like, let's say mm-hmm. someone's, like, relapsing, and then, like, once it's kicked off, that's when the disease kicks in. Right, right. And it, mm-hmm. addiction is when there is no choice. Our brains have become addicted. Um, they've become chemically dependent on... But there's also... Um, the other kind of part to this is that we're not only talking, I mean, we're all obviously drinking alcohol here. We're not just talking about alcohol. We're talking about, um, 
different substances, but also different behaviors as well. So behavioral addiction versus substance addiction. A behavioral addiction is an action. So like sexual addiction, out of control, um, just out of control behavior when it comes to gambling, when it comes to gaming, when it comes to the internet. um, Eating in America is a big one. Yes. Or even like porn addiction. I remember it was like a, just kind of like a passing like, oh, haha, this is a funny correlation. Like when, when the pandemic first started, like I think it was... So March is when it, we really got serious about it, right? In the mm-hmm. U.S. or at least in Texas. <clears throat> and then April, you saw Pornhub's like, usage just skyrocket like through the roof, right? Yeah. It was like, oh, this is funny. Everybody's looking at porn. And it's like, I mean, just Not normalize funny. it. Like, it's fine. <laughs> like, look at porn. Right. Don't, don't be weird about it. But then I've noticed, at least for myself, like I've been doing a lot more consultations for people coming for porn addiction than I have my entire mm-hmm. therapeutic mm-hmm. career. Like, I've, I've, never, I've had maybe one a year. And I think I've done like 10 over the last six months. Wow. So that shows that like it has bled over into addiction territory. Absolutely. I have to jump in as the uh, the budding sex therapist uh, okay. because ASECT, the uh, American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, uh, uh, recently published a, an opinion on sex addiction and porn addiction. And their official position is that ASECT does not find sufficient empirical evidence to support the classification of sex addiction or porn addiction as a mental health disorder, and two, does not find the sexual addiction training and treatment methods and educational pedagogies to be adequately informed by accurate human sexuality knowledge. See, but it depends on what what the parameters of what they're considering addiction is. So we consider something pathological in the mental health world when it impacts your ability to carry out daily activities, satisfying, engaging in relationships, engaging and satisfying relationships. Sorry, I've had like three beers and uh, work, right? So as long as if it's impacting those three areas, impairing your ability to speak at work, (laughs) this is work. This is not work. This is not work. This is therapist off the clock. Social impairment. But okay, so again, let me say it more eloquently. Engaging in satisfying relationships, um, work, or carrying out daily activities. If it's impacting those big three, then it's considered pathological as far as like the mental health world. Mm-hmm. And I would classify addictions under that same thing. Like if, if your preoccupation with the substance is interfering with those three areas, yeah. then that crosses into addiction territory, right? Yeah. It's really interesting too, because I've heard a lot of um, marriage and sex therapists who say that porn is a huge contributor to lack of sex drive mm-hmm. with your partner. And so that's, it's interesting that that association would take that stance, that it's not... Well, they, and they recognize that people may experience significant physical, psychological, spiritual, and sexual health consequences related to sexual urges, thoughts, or behaviors. Like I said, I'm budding, but I, I believe uh, it would be great to have uh, um, Heather McPherson. Yes, here. it would she be. Would be. She would be fabulous to speak on this. Um, but just that the the model of addiction that we use applied to substances does not uh, adequately cover this area of human experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, in grad school, they did say like, there's a difference between like substance addiction and process addiction is what they called like the behavioral mm-hmm. addictions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do see a lot of process addiction in the substances where it's like obtaining the substances, the ritual, mm-hmm. yeah, the ritual of getting the substances into yourself, like however you do that. Um, and so I, I think it, I think it could be, I don't know. I'm curious why they said that. Like, I'm really interested in that because I do feel like it is very associated. 
Well, let's oh, dig in, dig into that in a, another time when I have yeah. adequately prepared myself. <laughs> with, uh, let's call no, him up right now. I need it now. Like, come on. <laughs> well, I mean, let's talk about how all of us as therapists go about treating any kind of addiction. Um, I mean, if, if this is kind of a spur of the moment question, but I am curious about everyone's models, everyone's viewpoints, you know, how they perceive uh, how they, um, not, not, I mean, yeah, perceive, but also how, how to conceptualize addiction. How do you guys like, what do y'all do as far as just treating someone that just comes to you and just says like, Hey, I'm addicted to alcohol. I'm addicted to porn, to cocaine, to whatever. I mean, talk amongst yourselves. I say, have you heard of Rachel Stein? (laughs) (laughs) Here's her number. Here's the number to detox. Call me after. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I think it it depends on where they are Mm -hmm. at in their addiction, right? Is it just kind of budding? Like, oh, I'm smoking weed to cope with um, my anxiety. Okay, like we can probably manage that outpatient level. But if it's like I'm blacking out every day and on Xanax and alcohol, then you probably need detox, definitely need detox. Mm. And so I think it's really based on like the level they're at. Um, But once I do get someone and I'm working with them, my favorite is kind of a psychodynamic analytic of like, what are these like trauma patterns in your life going on and these cycles that you're stuck in that are keeping you in this addiction. And then I try to help them identify those and lower those and then work on the healthy patterns in their life that um, bring them joy and happiness and help them get to like existentialism where they enjoy their life so much that it's like they would not risk it. Self-actualization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Very nice. I mentioned IFS earlier, uh, internal family systems. I've, I've just found this to be a, a just a, such a, a really gentle and non-pathologizing model for dealing with all sorts of unwanted behaviors, including uh, what we're calling addiction and um, you know, I, I view the the um, I, I view the alcohol, the compulsive alcohol consumption. Uh, I usually mostly work with alcohol, but the compulsive consumption is uh, a protector. And there's kind of two types of protectors. I think of managers and firefighters. Managers are kind of the day to day protectors. And so I think in terms of alcohol, a like if I'm going to happy hour every day, that's a sort of a, a day-to-day protector. Uh, firefighters kind of come in and douse the system to numb everything. And so I think of that more in terms of binging. That's kind of an oversimplification. I think, you know, our, our firefighters can come online daily uh, if we are really, uh, we have a really tender and reactive kind of internal ecosystem. Um but what I, what I find is there are, there are usually some other protectors in there that are involved. Uh, I say no no part acts in uh, uh, outside of context. No part acts alone. So there's usually a, a very shaming part um, that that the uh, I kind of mentioned that polarity earlier. So I, I have a compulsive user part that is in a polarity with my controller. Is kind of what I call that. Like and this controller is very well intended. It wants to minimize the destructive behavior but it is very shaming and it can uh it can use all sorts of expletives to talk about the client and uh which just leads to uh more reactivity more pain in the system which of course feeds back into it's a feedback loop feedback Mm -hmm. 
So what I do is I, I hold the polarity lovingly. I thank the controller for its uh, its good intentions, and I I uh, I, I thank the uh, the manager, the firefighter. It's just trying to protect you there. Um, and, and then we kind of ask both of those to step aside and we get down to the, the exile. I call the exile, which is where the, where the pain is held. And this is usually, a, uh, there's usually one or two memories associated with this, just depending on the case. But um, it's usually a wounded inner child that has been Mm-hmm. Uh, neglected, and then and we basically just uh, give a lot of love to that kiddo and and unburden him from these uh, um, trauma based beliefs of I'm not good enough, I'm not deserving, um, uh, even the physical sensations associated with uh, uh, the shame, the the uh, the physical pain, the kind of the band around the heart, and uh, we kind of. That's sort of its own detox. We we detox the shame, and then uh, doing a few rounds of that, I find that the the system inside of the client is less reactive, so they're they're more able to to deal with their pain. Sure, we, they're going to get overwhelmed again. We all get overwhelmed, but it, it's you know they're they're overwhelmed by like a big life tragedy versus like something someone said at work, and they can handle more. They're more resilient, and they they. I find that they don't need to lean on the uh, sort of the compulsive drinker or the uh, or or some of these protectors as much. So that's how, in a mm-hmm. nutshell, how I approach it. It's, a, it's again very gentle. I don't label them as an addict. Um, we just say that you know you've got a lot of uh, protectors that are going to bat for you, and let's get them on the same page. They're all trying to protect mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. uh, tender part of you. Um, but let's get out that part and and heal it love that yeah mine's pretty mine's pretty i've learned to be pretty interdisciplinary and pretty integrative when it comes to addiction because there's no one like pure model that works for everybody um that's something i've learned because when i i did my internship and all i was doing was families and couples and all i was you know even my individual clients i was working on their family you know i was doing their family systems and is very very systemic flash forward to when i got licensed and hired in private practice and i started trying to do family systems and uh, getting clients to work on their their family stuff while they're like knee deep in an addiction and it's like no 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 no. um so i i learned to really focus on the individual first getting them out of the kind of the the fight or flight you'd mentioned um, getting them out of the survival mode and really kind of getting them to slow down their stuff. I use a lot. I, I use, we actually included this in what we wanted to talk about today, but the, the stages of change um, model, the cycle of change, which is also known as mo- motive. It's, it's linked to motivational interviewing and it's, it's a very kind of uplifting. I find it very encouraging way to let clients know that they are supported. What are their support? What's their support system? Just like you mentioned, Hayden, who's, who's coming to bat for you? Um, but the stages of change are pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, maintenance, pre-contemplation, just to sum it all, sum it all up <laughs> for people who just are, their eyes are glazing over right now, probably because <laughs> it's like, Oh God, theory, um, <laughs> pre-contemplation is there's, there's a problem that's, that exists, but you don't quite realize it yet. Mm. So it's there, but it's like, you haven't made that like link, like, Oh, I, I, I have a problem contemplation is 
there's a problem and I realize it. I, I'm realizing, I'm contemplating, okay, what do I do? I've made this realization that there is a problem. What do I do with it? Preparation is that still having that thing in mind of like, I, I have I have an issue that I want to start working on. What are my resources? You know, what am I gathering right now? Like what kinds of things are going to be good? Hello, doggies. Um, action is you're putting all the resources in place. You're putting them in motion. And finally, maintenance is the long-term part of the addiction where you, it's the long-term uh, management of it all. It's like you're, you're managing it the next several decades. So sorry, we got, <laughs> we got like totally sidetracked by puppage, which I am totally... I applaud your ability to continue speaking <laughs> with I the tried. Dogs. The dogs are part of the self-care, which yeah, I was going to you know, say is cute. part of maintenance. Yes. What I like about the stages of change model, though, is that it's a circle. It's not a start and a finish. And that we kind of touched on this earlier as to why we use the term recovery versus cure. Because there's no start and finish. Like you are never cured from addiction. You are never at the point where you no longer have any temptation or any uh, potential risk of relapse. Because even this, in the stages of change model, relapse is in the circle. It doesn't have to be. Um, but if you do hit that relapse point, you can jump back into the stages of change model at any stage. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't set you automatically set you back to pre-contemplation where you're not acknowledging a problem. Yeah. You could just go straight back to, you can go from relapse straight back to action or relapse straight back to preparation. Um, another way I started thinking about a lot of problems, but addiction included is sort of, it is, it is a, a disintegrating force in our lives. And so healing is about integrating so the i go back to that polarity these these parts that are going back and forth uh and not really helping but uh so the therapy becomes about reintegrating but then life happens and life is sort of it's itself kind of trends towards disintegration it's sort of entropic and and I'm, i'm throwing back to my uh physics class back in college but um, there, it, 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 things happen. And so the, the maintenance is sort of keeping pace with, uh, the accrual of these disintegrating forces in life, which are work stress and loss and, uh, the, the collective historical trauma and stuff that's going on in, in the world, the political stuff, you know, everything that we're, we're the, the pandemic, we're all dealing with these, uh, forces that are, you know, in some ways, like literally trying to rip us apart. And so to stay together, stay put together uh, is, is a practice. It's something that we do ongoing, which is why I'm very relational in my approach. And I, you know, I, I really uh, emphasize the need for a supportive community because our communities and relationships are what insulate us from all that. Yes. I want to speak on that. There is research to say that the opposite of addiction is connection Connection. with either others or your higher power as you know them. And so even your, your partners. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk about rat park? Yes. That's that's what that's the study. Take it away, Rachel. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) On the spot. There's a Ted talk about it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Rat park showed um, that rats in a cage with just, drugs would use the drugs um, because they were so isolated. They were just like, let me do something. Um, And then they put some rats in a cage that had um, fun things to do, other rats to to mess around with, stuff like that, have fun. Um, Yeah, and they actually chose to use the drugs less. They still, like, 
hit the ball occasionally, mm-hmm. but they didn't do it as much per se. And so I think that's a um, really cool study. Um, and we're very similar to rats apparently. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and just to elaborate on that, the idea that, um, the, uh, the model that we were using for addiction was a rat in a cage that would yes. we and, and we as re I, I didn't do this. Don't don't write <laughs> me angry letters. Uh, but the researchers got these rats addicted to cocaine and they would self administer through hitting a bar. Literally, it was the eighties. It was a different time. Yeah, it was, <laughs> I didn't think this was was earlier, but uh, the uh, <laughs> I see what you did there. I like the grant um, proposal of like, all right, guys. So got some cocaine, right? And yes. we're gonna get some rats. And we're just fucking, we're just gonna give the cocaine to rats and see what happens. And they're like, "What are you high?" <laughs> <laughs> but but some some researchers, I believe, from our lovely neighbors to the north, Canada, came along and they they basically said rats don't live like they don't live in cages. So this is not an accurate model of addiction in context. And so the, these rats that were addicted were put into this very rich park area and and they weaned themselves off it's beautiful mm, so we, we makes me think of the monkey the the monkey exercise where they were put in um they were put in a just all terrible circumstances with animals in cages I'm glad they don't do this psychology anymore. has a super dark past very with dark like with like cocaine does, and animals yes. that, and like the reese's monkey where it's like here's a wire thing like love it yeah, well, yeah. So, yeah. here's a it's, fluffy one. Right, yeah. here's a fluffy. Here's a fluffy monkey, um, but there's no food. Um, but here's a wire monkey with food. And from and that study, we went, learned that mammals do not need to be locked in cages. And that here too. I am on yes. my soapbox about you know it's 2021. We still have human beings in. My still favorite, like, fucked up thing. Ooh. Like, if if you're listening to this and you don't have a background in mental health or psychology, Google baby Albert. The Baby oh, Albert videos yes. where they literally just like conditioned a young, innocent infant to be afraid of anything fluffy. So yes. it was like, here's a rat. <laughs> here's a bunny. And then they started saying, here's a bunny. And they would make a loud fucking noise and just scared. So now God. that baby was conditioned to anything fluffy. They would just like make a super, lo- it would just have a very negative, strong reaction. I can't imagine my life without any fluffy fluffy creatures around me. I so. know, to be like terrified, traumatized. This literally. is why we drink, because we, we, <laughs> we, we all watched these videos, yes. and then there was the study where the, the prisoners and the guards and, they, and yeah, the Stanford, the 50-year yeah. anniversary yeah. is this year. And then the electroshock wow. study. Uh, I was giving I a talk to, uh, <laughs> to at a T-Noise conference, the Texas Network of Youth Providers uh, Services in Houston, and I was giving a talk on burnout through the learn through the lens of learned helplessness because I was trying to merge those two of like how burnout leads us to the sense of just learned helplessness to where once we hit that stage of burnout we just kind of accept it because we've we've mm. hit that stage of learned I've helplessness. I've been in a few jobs like that. Yeah. <laughs> I've been, I might be in one right now. Like, that's no, um, uh, but dog, I referenced Martin the Seligman's work of the, the shocking floor. dogs. Yeah, and so I had I did a screenshot of like a YouTube video. I was like, and I was talking about the experiment of where we learned about learned helplessness, and I was like, and I just feel like it's really integral to your learning and understanding of this topic to show you this video. So. Uh, I'm going to show you these videos of these dogs getting electrocuted. And then I had the YouTube thing and then I clicked the next slide and was like, just kidding. But like when I said that, everybody was like, oh, Marty doesn't like this yeah. study. Martin Riggs McFly does not like this. He has not learned helplessness. He wants you to put him down. But that sense of community is important. I remember in my addictions class, like, I don't know if y'all's program was the same, but we had to actually go to two uh, open AA meetings 
And I remember like learning about what AA meetings, like what the structure is. And it's just essentially people telling war stories from their like struggles with addiction. And I was like, why would you want to subject yourself to that? Like, how is that not triggering? And then I attended them. I was like, this is pumping me up. And like, I don't have any struggles with addiction, but it's like people come and tell like the worst, the bottom, the lowest of the low that they've experienced, but they're still there. Like I did this and I'm still here today. And it's like, this is fucking pumping me up. Like, this is really cool. But that's that sense of like community Mm -hmm. that you build. Right. And I think if we are deprived of human connection, we're going to drink more. The amount of, um, amount of drinking I think I've seen in clients just since the pandemic started has been, it's been alarming because I mean, again, we're, we're, we're not, we're kind of cut off from our resources of community as we continue to be in this pandemic, I think I will. So I'm, I'm going to get pretty vulnerable here and it probably because of the fact that I have had <laughs> a very, very strong margarita from uh, velvet taco. I've but noticed you've been drinking Everclear. No, Bold choice. For gross. <laughs> That's what people used to drink in high school that they put in water bottles and <laughs> oh, say God. that it was water. Jungle At least juice. my, my, my school did. Okay. It's about me now. Okay. You get serious. <laughs> few times like in the past like people have kind of told me that you know they worry about my drinking or they've you know been just concerned in some kind of way but my um my my partner now he's been the first person that's actually told me like hey you know why don't you kind of just know your limits and why don't you um you know just just know your limits and just kind of listen to your body and if anybody else would have told me that, um, I, I would have been like, ah, oh, fuck off. You're, you know, you're, you're not a part of my life or you don't know me, but, um, he's been the first one to told me to, to actually tell me about it and for me to like, listen and go like, Oh, you know what? Maybe. So, um, yeah, I've learned different rituals now. I've, I've, I mean, contrary to what y'all might think about today, <laughs> as I slur my words, as I drink my margarita, um, I actually drink way less, way less than I have in probably years. And it's been so freeing and amazing. And just the fact that there is just some sense of accountability that I'm holding for myself. I also love my partner very much. And, you know, there's that that factor of I don't want to disappoint him. Um, and, yeah, it's just I'm on this kind of new journey now of, like, really moderating my drinking, knowing my limit, knowing that I have a man that's waiting for me at home and he's, you know, just, he, he wants the fullest version of me that I can give him. So, um, yeah, so that's, I don't know. That's, that's my little moment of vulnerability. And now I feel disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate you sharing. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. It's so common. We were talking about that like before, well, like we were planning too, right. Is just how subtle, this can sneak in. Like no one wakes mm-hmm. up and says, you know what? I'm going to start a problem today. Like I'm just going to like, I go wouldn't say no one. I'm going to few to say that. Most people. Most. <laughs> but I know like I've, I've shared in previous episodes of uh, being present for a mass shooting and spending time in jail and just going through all of that. Uh, not fun experience. I don't recommend watching people die or being falsely accused. But when I, when I finally got home, like that trauma really set in and I was very just like, one thing you don't really learn about trauma until you experience it is just the the deep onset of shame and guilt. Even if you have no reason to feel it, like you didn't do anything wrong, there's just like this deep shame and guilt. And it would keep me up at night. Not only that, but I would also have nightmares of like seeing people die or being in jail again. And I would wake up in the middle of the night and I have to turn off, turn on all the lights in my apartment to make sure like I was in my apartment and I wasn't in jail. 
And so mm-hmm. it got harder and harder every night to go to sleep. So it started off with just like one nightcap and then one nightcap in a melatonin, one nightcap in a melatonin and a Tylenol PM, and then two nightcaps and then three nightcaps. And before you realize it, it's like, I'm killing bottles like every other day. Mm-hmm. And again, that wasn't a choice. I didn't choose to say, you know what, I'm going to depend on alcohol for my ability to sleep or my ability to wind down. We just use it as a crutch. And all of a sudden that crutch, we put more and more weight on it and more and more weight on it. And then we become dependent on it to where we, we start off innocently with like, let me just use this to help me. And now I've, I've fostered this dependence on this thing. Mm. Um, so it's very subtle. Like it, it's, it's not intentional always. Like and it's frog like, in the boiling water. Yes, exactly. Yes. And I think COVID is the boiling water right now. Mm, yes. I'm seeing so many people, yeah. adults and teens right now. I'm seeing so many more teens that are abusing drugs and alcohol and they don't have that social connection. It's such a dire time in their life. They're developmental that they need that connection. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's heartbreaking. And so I just, Oh, if you can do anything like Help the teens, please. Like, if you have a teenager, mm-hmm. like, this is mm. a public service announcement. Yeah, like, help alcohol. Help them. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I will say, like, take them on a walk. Aside from my my client, my adult clients that have had like financial instability and job loss and stuff like that, I will say, like, overall, my teen clients have ha- have had the hardest go of covid than yeah. like adults yeah. because it's, they're at a point where they need, they need the most social. socialization yeah. the most social yeah. referencing the most connection yes. and they're doing it to, not only that but also just like physical activity they have yes. so much fucking energy yeah. and they're sat at home like doing online learning they don't even have the luxury right. of like walking from class to class or doing an athletics period yeah. or band or choir or whatever it is it is yeah they need that like 15 minutes just like walk to class like yeah. run around um yeah they're all just so isolated and there's just so much drama on social media now as well because of it because they're not like seeing each other face to face and connecting and feeling that energy that is so needed at that developmental level it's i'm really curious the like long-term effects of this like i'm i'm something to research for sure it's like the long-term effects of the teenage population right now going through covid it's all form of study right now (laughs) it's very sobering to (laughs) sorry i didn't that wasn't meant to be. A How long were you saying on that one, Hayden? <laughs> I wish I could describe the amount of pride on Hayden's face yes. as he said. <laughs> he dropped that sober. <laughs> Which, by the way, you something that you tend to do, like in like pretty much every podcast, that I'm actually surprised that I'm oh. having to be the one to like go. nudge you oh. at it. Here we go. Oh, is, it's happening. Is. Oh. What's everyone drinking? What is everyone <laughs> drinking? Oh, I thought you were going to call him out on something. No. I oh know. I was God. waiting for accountability. Oh, no. no, I I, uh, I do How usually many drinks, I do though? usually That's ask the um, what everyone's drinking. I'm, I'm very interested in it. Uh, perhaps it's because the addiction specialist is here that it just slipped my mind. Um I am drinking uh, a raspberry Berliner Weiss from a local powerhouse, Friends and Allies, um, who is not a sponsor yet. Yet. But I am Facebook (laughs) friends with Ben, who is the owner. and uh, Benjamin Dover? Uh, Not Ben Dover, but uh, (laughs) Ben Sabin, I believe. Um, Mike Hunt? And... (laughs) <laughs> Michael Hunt owns the brewery uh, down the road. <laughs> He's a deacon at his church, too. <laughs> oh, God. We're pretty schlossed at this point. Just full disclosure. 
Ian, what are you <laughs> drinking since you... Since I almost I, said you outed yourself as being I, drunk, but... What is that? Uh, so this... So right now I'm just... I'm, I'm drinking... I'm on a, a juice cleanse right now. Um, and it's... There's like strawberry, ginger, uh, watermelon... Blueberry, there's a whole bunch of there's shit. Some vodka in his you want juice some vodka land. for it? Well, I was gonna say, <laughs> yeah, that I'm amazing. taking a break from yeah. from my margarita. That I said what I was drinking before I started uh, filling my system with with healthy stuff um, was uh, the margaritas from Velvet Taco. Who Velvet Taco is also not a sponsor yet, yes. but uh, they are one place that I swung by before picking up Hayden on the way here. And I, I picked up a Marg, did not drink in the car on the way. I, I waited until I got here, but they're doing. The, I these, did. I was in the passenger seat. <laughs> fabulous to go to go margaritas that you can pick, and that's what I've been sipping on all day. So that's what I'm drinking. What are you drinking, Rachel? Awesome. I brought um, Deep Eddie's vodka to make Moscow Mules. Local, yes. Um, yeah, local. I love all of their flavors. I just got the. Regular flavor, I guess you would call it. Non-flavored. <laughs> the vodka flavor. Vodka vodka. I believe vodka is actually defined by its lack of flavor. So yeah. The, the flavorless yeah. vodka. They have a great facility, though. If you're ever looking for something fun yeah. to do, um, go it's taste super test cool. all their where stuff. Is, where is there? I mean, is it the in Deep Eddy? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's not too far. They actually, before they COVID, the they had a bus that would take you out there so you wouldn't have to like, drive oh if you drink too much. Yeah. It was from downtown all the way over there and back. Awesome. Pretty cool. Yeah, I they know. Little food trucks out there. COVID ruined it. Yeah. I love Dripping Springs. I really do. It's Dripping Springs. Yeah, very cool. I want to move out there at some time because my, my partner is super into like farms and having your own cattle and all that. And we should start a, a communal living space. Like, let's just get a plot of land and yeah. we'll buy, <laughs> we'll put our own houses on the land. I'm too introverted for all expensive. that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, like, does your partner have a lot of money? Because <laughs> not he has a yet. lot of love, and that's not all yet. I care about. That's all I care about. As soon as we land that sponsorship deal, I will say I've I've turned my nose up to communal living, and then I went to I did a workshop. It was like a week long in like middle of nowhere, West Virginia, and it was communal living, and I didn't like it the first day, but I see I see why people like it. Like it was pretty cool to split like the chores and split the cooking and the cleaning mm-hmm. and um. I thought that I would miss my privacy, which I probably would long term, but it's just like there's something like just like comforting about being with people with like a shared vision and mm-hmm. supporting each other. I'm into it every time I but every time I, I think about doing it, it always devolves into like this cult where I am like the supreme <laughs> leader and, and everybody's wearing speedos. Jim Jones. Wives Drink and, the Kool-Aid. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I could maybe do it, but I, I shouldn't be in charge of anything. <laughs> I am my my family is from Waco. I don't know if there's any. Oh God! But in, your surname branch, is Koresh, right? That's... Branch Branch Davidians. Group. I thought you said your dad was from China Grove. Or uh, mom? Mom is from China Grove. Dad is from China Springs. Oh, <laughs> close there. Uh, Spiegelville, Texas, outside of Waco, just across the lake, um, off of Highway Six, where. I went to jail. Uh, it's twin, yeah, <laughs> twin, twin Peaks used to be. I gave them a negative Yelp review. It was <laughs> <laughs> not the most positive experience. Side note, David Kirsch, uh, fabulous country music artist. Very different from David Koresh. But um, I believe he was in Playgirl. What? 
Which one? Kersh or Kersh? Kersh. Okay. Maybe uh, I'm I, right I, now. I took us off <laughs> topic. Patrick, what are you drinking? <laughs> a lot we, more now. Thank you. <laughs> we started it with not. Ian's looking up David Kresh, Playgirl. 1994, I want to say. I've you know got some. Uh, the very specifically. <laughs> that guy? That's okay. That's the cult leader. If you're following. So a, he's uh, not in Playgirl. David Kersh. Kersh. But that was part of David Koresh's charm is that he was a looker, right? Like, didn't people find him handsome? Mm-hmm. I guess well, yeah, that's why I want to be a cult leader. All cult leaders way. are handsome, Patrick. <laughs> but not all handsome people are cult leaders, okay. right? It's I'm like the all whales are dolphins, but all dolphins are whales thing. <laughs> David Kirsch. SeaWorld? No? No one? Oh, it's Am I the only one that worked at SeaWorld? Okay. I like that they're just going on this like playgirl. I know. Yeah, and you can uh, confirm that David Kirsch playgirl is in now. my history. <laughs> Playgirl Mag 99, David Kirsch. Heat so, Rachel, this is how most of our episodes go, is <laughs> yes. they just go down a Playgirl play rabbit hole. This is like 3%. Yeah, this is Hayden's coming 3% coming out. <laughs> but he's had at least four beers, so that, probably that? like 87 or 93%. Do you want to see the, <laughs> the cover? There's no... So before this devolves too deeply, wait. There's a David Kirsch, Canadian cognitive scientist. Is that, that who you're referring to? Is, is great. Isn't that a great '90s happy? Tra- um, Patrick, what are you drinking? And then let's move on. I am He's, drinking some Austin Beer Works beer. He's nice. staring into my soul. He's like, which, like, if Austin Beer Works wants to sponsor us, you don't even have to give us money. Just give us one of those '99 packs. That's who makes it, right? Austin Beer Works? That makes the 99? Oh, uh, Do you know what I'm talking I th- about? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think that'd yes. be dope. Uh, but also, Rachel got me excited for Moscow Mules uh, making an Irish mule. I had one of those earlier, which is essentially a Moscow Mule, but with Jameson instead of vodka. And Playgirl, if you're listening, we are looking for sponsorship. <laughs> also, David Kirsch, if you're listening, I happen to know from some previous research, last time I Googled... You uh, you own a real estate company somewhere in the great state of Texas, and and perhaps you're looking uh, looking to sponsor a uh, some young there's, upstarts. There's no way Playgirl's still around, right? It's not. I was gonna it, say I don't think they can be a sponsor because they are now defunct. I feel like that's sexist. Maybe they're making a comeback. It's a quarterly from 2010 to 2016. Yeah. So do they? They pieced out in 2016. Yeah. Should we? Wow, that's a short-lived we, life. <laughs> no, but they started. Should we start? Oh. Should we start? Should we start it up again? You I am. Do you know what, okay, so so y'all are local-ish. Did you know that Montgomery Ward is making a comeback? No. What? Oh my god. Yeah. What's next? Do you know? Sears. Sears is going to tear down all the community colleges and put in a Sears. I used to call it Monkey Words when I was a kid. Let's go Wait, monkey words, mom. Ian, did you grow up in Houston or Dallas? Houston. Houston. Do you remember the Wieners commercials? Do you yes. remember the store Wieners? My God. And there was a, a faux superhero for the commercials called Wiener Man. Oh, God. And it was the best fucking thing of my childhood. Oh <laughs> this is a real God. department store I'm Googling this one in like inner called city Wieners. Houston oh, I feel called like Wieners. I Google, but it's happening. It's happening. Do it. Wieners. That'll be less sketchy. I'm still checking out David Kirsch. Mm. All right, Playgirl and Wieners aside, <laughs> let's talk about final takeaways from today before this just kills our whole fucking career. <laughs> before Mariah keeps everything that we are talking about in the final edit. 
Okay, I got some client feedback uh, on our first episode uh, that we were holding back a little bit. So, um, what? I thought that was mine because remember yeah. I I told you that earlier about my client said the same thing. I I got I got uh, maybe that was yours. Maybe I've had four beers. <laughs> Well, I got some feedback from your client <laughs> through you that okay, you're holding back a little bit. Wait, so, so what? What I was think this client? Both of y'all said that. I do. Man, you just incepted yeah, me. That shows you how funny memory is. Like nothing we remember is real. That's true. You're also a Gemini. What's uh, the Gemini's What's this client's name? I made it about first and last. No. <laughs> nope. That's the new drinking so, game. Is uh, drink every time I try to force one of these guys into a HIPAA violation. Oh, that's uh, oh, we forgot to do the drinking game for the this uh, the existential episode came out yesterday, and we drank every time I thought about my own death. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't hold back today, uh, Ian. You were very vulnerable. Thank, Thank you, you for that, and I, I appreciate that. And then we started talking about Playgirl and cults. So uh, <laughs> if you have any feedback for this episode. And uh, let's not forget the dildos in the sky. Oh, yeah. Which will be in a future episode. Uh, I don't know. I'm excited about that one. Oh, God. We had Another episode. Okay, so for, for context, we had the, this great conversation about sexism. And then somehow that devolved into a thought experiment that Hayden posed of how many dildos are actively in the sky being transported by planes at any given moment. And like United it would States. get really serious and then Hayden would just randomly chime in like, so I'm finding that these dildos that they're being <laughs> transported right now, there's approximately 140,000. I'm curious though, how many have been to space? That's the real question. Mm. <laughs> there's gotta Alexa. be. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what are our takeaways for today? what are our final takeaways from today y'all anybody can start community is very important um, finding a community that um, supports you and your individualized recovery um, somewhere you fit in um, and feel accepted as like a chosen family I think that's probably my biggest takeaway from working in the recovery field beautiful huge beautiful yeah. yes I like that. I guess along those lines is just removing the the guilt and shame and stigma away from addiction. Like it's a problem. Like you you are no more self conscious about diabetes or cancer than you should be about addiction. Like yes. they they are all in need and um, deserving of intervention. So in order to access and allow yourself to be vulnerable enough to find these communities is relinquishing a lot of that shame and guilt. So knowing that one mm-hmm. you're not alone like normalizing your experience and two, like what you're dealing with doesn't mean that you're weak or that there's anything wrong with you. This is just something that's going on. That's no different than any other physiological ailment. Um, so take advantage of the resources and the communities that are available because they are there for you. Mm-hmm. I have, I have quite a few takeaways. Um, one, uh, to, to your point, Patrick and, and Rachel, um, the, the, the power of community and, uh, and just, shame the shame that surrounds this and if you're listening and and finding yourself into in this kind of polarity that i'm talking about with a compulsive part that that wants to use or self-medicate and a shaming part that wants to control that and really and you're just beating yourself up i have the saying if if shame were medicine we would all be healed so if you're if you're stuck in that loop uh get some help uh get some help with um, definitely getting the behavior under the under control, but more than anything, we want you to uh, 
detox, uh, detox that alcohol if you need it, but detox that shame. I think that is the, the most important thing. Uh, and, and then just, you know, sitting here with three other brilliant people, uh, we all kind of bring our, our own perspectives. Um, I think, you know, we play nice on the podcast, but, uh, I think we, we maybe have some different, different views on this. So there are multiple, a lot of roads to Rome. Um, there are multiple, uh, approaches to this, uh, this problem. And, um, you know, if you're, you're looking for help and you don't find it where you, you look initially, uh, mm-hmm. hang in there and, and keep looking because I, again, there are a lot of, a lot of different approaches to this problem. Oh yes. That's literally my takeaway. I think is to don't think of it in such a rigid I think a lot of people want to kind of just, they want to stay rigid in their thinking when it comes to addiction. And it's such an individualized journey. And that's exactly what it is. It's an end. It's all of us collectively are kind of in the, just we're on different journeys, but the same at the same time. And I think that to view addiction as a one size fits all model, I, I think is just not it. There's so many people going through so many different things and different circumstances that all of us as therapists treating addiction need to continually evolve our, our treatment of it. Um, so, yeah. So I, I think my final takeaway is that um, this might sound a little too live, laugh, lovey, but um, yeah, recovery is not a destination. It's a journey and there's no like end result that we want. It's a continued ev- evolution of um, kind of where we're where we're heading and what self actualization actually means for us. So it's my final takeaway. One thing that we didn't talk about that maybe is is merits its own episode is just the compassion fatigue of people who have people struggling with addictions in their mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. and understanding that yes. addiction is not a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know earlier we discussed like maybe that first drink or maybe that first indulgence is a choice, but the addiction that follows is not a choice. Mm-hmm. And so it's really easy to hit that point of compassion fatigue if you've invested so much time and energy and love and support into somebody and they've they've maintained sobriety for a certain amount of time only to relapse later. You know that that's not a reflection of you or them. That's mm-hmm. just showing the severity of the addiction. Yeah. Um, and and talking and discussing about resources for these people to avoid compassion fatigue or to avoid um, burnout as a caregiver, I think would be uh, a worthwhile discussion in the future. Yeah, I totally agree. That's a whole separate topic of like the family involvement, um, the clinical involvement as well. Um, even seeing people, I have clients where. They get sober and now their friend relapses and they're like, oh my God, what do I do? I'm on the other side of it. They get empathy for their family members. And so um, I think that's a whole other topic that I'd love to continue talking about. So, nice. well, so you're you, saying you'll come back? I was yes. going to say you are invited <laughs> back anytime, my dear. So. And, and just to close this out, uh, the, the budding sex therapist here just had to go ahead and, and Google and see if dildos have been to outer space. <laughs> Um, NASA astronauts. This is a, an article from uh, 2019. Yes. NASA asked, "Don't kink shame Ian." Astronauts, come on! It's over at his laptop, and I cannot believe what I just saw. NASA astronauts offered teledildonic sex <laughs> in space with what? lovers back on Earth. Oh, no, sign me up, man. I'm a. I'm a I'm gonna read this. Wait, that's that's like long distance relationship goals. Like, yeah. Hashtag. Yeah. There's some good money in that. 
<laughs> yes. So amazing. We need some ground floor. floor oh, this is uh, <laughs> uh, uh, talking about Elon Musk's SpaceX program. Elon Musk <laughs> is not a sponsor He's yet. A, yet. He's a yet. Texan now, though. So. Did he move to Texas? He is. Or They bought up the music lab on... Uh, <gasps> really? Yeah. On Old Fork. <laughs> I just uh, got really no, excited. No, uh, St. Elmo. St. Elmo, yes. yeah. Always oh, about to go send now. some flyers to them or the music group. <laughs> not, not maybe I'll meet Elon. Music Lab. Fuck Tesla because they bought that property and they mm-hmm. also bought some property over near where I live. And I feel like it's only a matter of time till I get priced out. Those dildos. Yes. Yeah. Why do we use dildo dildos. as a? Uh, it's such a great thing. Um, <laughs> it's just it, to me, it's the perfect. I don't know. And it's not a slur, but placeholder. Like, I think that's that's what it is. Place perfect holder. placeholder. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. To get in touch with any of us, whether you want to have conversations about therapy or whether you are in Texas and want to become our client, God please help see. you if you want to become our client. <laughs> please see the show notes where you can find the best ways to reach us. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts yeah. if you are enjoying the show. <laughs> we will be back in two weeks. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> I just gave him the most awkward look. Was Don't tell them to leave us reviews. That's just the teledildonic.